Amen. Thank you for your giving, church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey Bendix. I'm the outreach and evangelism pastor here on staff. Uh, really good to be here. Um, if you could, just go ahead and uh, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. A couple quick things. Um, one, we, are, we have over 105 people signed up for Grace Loves uh, here on March the 14th, which is a really big deal. Um, we have a collection of 104 people who are going to be scattered all throughout um, Stone Road, right, right down the street. And we're going to be partnering with about four to five partnerships all along one road where we are going to be um, really embodying grace to meet needs in our community. So thank you for those of you who have signed up, who are going to sign up. It's going to be a big deal. Um, this past weekend, we gave each of you uh, a Neighboring Journey devotional. Um, th- this is, I'm, I'm excited about what's going to happen this weekend or, uh, th- on March the 8th and then for the next 14 days because uh, what we are going to collectively do is we're going to dive into what it looks like um, to be the type of neighbor that Jesus was. We're going to look at the book of Luke and we're going to begin to discover who Jesus loved, um, how he loved them, but then we're going to discover why he loved them and the fuel by which he did so. Uh, I've heard it said that um, if you know your why, you'll be able to endure anyhow. And when it comes to Jesus, what we're going to discover is, is the why of his neighboring was through the fuel of his father, the fuel of his father. And so uh, tonight we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 3. Um, but real quick, have you ever ran out of gas? <laughs> so a few people, that was, that was pretty fresh. Yeah, you just did it. Okay. Um, there's nothing more embarrassing or humiliating than running out of gas. I, I remember being married uh, maybe four months. We were in a Dodge Neon, uh, and I assessed the fuel gauge in our car and thought that we had what it took to get from point A to point B, and halfway through the voyage... We sat stranded, and, and for the first time in our marriage, I felt the eyes of my wife, and boy, they were, she, at first she looked at me, and she was like, like is, one, is this really happening, and two, is, is this really happening, because I'm going to, I'm going to, like, what's happening here? That was the first time I actually ran out of gas, and it, like, a few, and it, it mattered, and an- another moment was, uh, I was, I was on a marathon, and I, I, I thought I had the proper fuel to get me all the way through. And mile 22 hits. And if, if, if you've ever been on a marathon, you know that miles 21 to 26, that's, that's where you know that you've gassed up the previous few weeks. And I thought I had done a good job until mile 22 hit. And I felt a pain on the right side of my body I've never felt. It was a full body dry heave like cramp. I mean, I, and all because I thought that I had the proper fuel to get me through. Little did I know I, I didn't. But no, no, more, no, no story is more embarrassing than a NASCAR driver. I think I've got a, a picture. Um, this is Donnie Allison, and he was a... A NASCAR driver for a better part of 21 years. He is the, uh, he's the head of the Allison 
family. If you know anything about driving, there's multiple Allisons. He is the chief of all of them. On, on uh, February the 22nd, 1985, Daytona 500, uh, Donnie Allison got into his car that at the time cost $300,000, which was one of the most expensive cars of that day. And he is entering into lap number three of 200, and then he finds out that someone forgot to put the fuel in the car. And, he's, and he just stumbles into the infield because this was a guy, he was a very successful, you had a great driver, you had a great car, you had no fuel. And what, what we have come to, to realize within this culture is it's very similar. It's, it's a fuel of you are what you do. And that fuel is combustible and that fuel will run out. It's only a matter of time before this uh, description and declaration that we're given that, that you are the sum total of, of the resume that you create. And what I have found is that this declaration and philosophy has seeped into the church and the way in which we relate to God. And often what I found is that when it comes to even many of us, we hear this idea of getting on a journey, of engaging our neighbors, and we go, I don't have the fuel. And so well, I think the primary question that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to engaging on any journey that we've been called to do is discovering what type of fuel do I have to get me through. And, and the real question that we have to, have to ask is what got Jesus through? What got him through being patient with people who hated him? What got him through healing after healing after healing? What got the Son of God through the point of, of, of dying on a cross? Places where he's sweating blood, praying, God, I don't want to do this, but you're not my will, but your will. Like, what got the Son of God through with a, with a type of fuel that was unmistakable and now a fuel that he wants to pass on to you and I? Well, let's look at it in Luke chapter 3. Verses 21 and 22. Only two verses, but I believe two of the most powerful verses in Luke's gospel. This is what he says. He says, when all the people... Hold on. Yeah, I'm old. 41. We go. Yes. I look like a scholar. When all the people were baptized... It came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Luke gives us a hyperlink to Genesis chapter 1 in these two verses. This is his... Uh, thesis of the entire book. And he immediately draws us back to when the trio got together. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit were gathered together to create. We're creating the, the earth and speaking into chaos. The Father was there and he is declaring words. The Son. The Spirit is hovering. And here you have a recreation 
Genesis 1 is a creation, and and Luke chapter 3 is a recreation, where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are gathering together to take what sin had destroyed, and they are recreating it. How? Through the Son. The power of the Son. The question is, what does the Father give the Son to get him through? You have, to, you have to just pause and think, has Jesus done any miracles yet? No. Has he healed anyone? No. Has he done anything? No. What the Father gives the Son is spirit-empowered sonship. Spirit-empowered sonship. You see, this is way bigger. I think I've got a slide behind me. Is that what, what you have to look at when it comes to this verse? And he was praying, the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him and declared, You are my son. Now, there's a lot that's going on theologically, which I think is important for us to consider. That this is a messianic psalm, that in Psalms chapter 2, verse 7, this was a verse, this was a declaration that was given to all kings who were put into a place of kingship with Israel. And all of Israel would gather and say, you are, I think I've got an, another slide behind me, um, that, yeah, that you are, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Again, this was what every king received, but this was a foreshadowing of the ultimate Messiah, right? That this is now all of human history is now descending upon the son where the father is declaring, you are my son. But not only is this a messianic psalm, the next slide, is that this is also a declaration of of what the father thinks of the son in regards to acceptance. Look, this is Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. All of the father's plans are now Now, in perfect place, as they are rushing upon the Son, as this moment of the Son receiving what he did not deserve. And what I love about what's going to happen in in Luke, at the end of Luke Luke chapter 3 and into Luke 4, is that we'll find that there's a battle for this, this declaration of sonship. You see, Jesus, his fight... Was, was to receive the acceptance and affirmation from the Father because he wanted to give it to you and I. You see, the whole idea of Messiah is like this. In about a month, there's going to be a national champion. Um, a lot of people think it's a lot of different teams, and they're all going to compete. And in about a month, April 5th, April 6th, there's going to be a national champion that is declared. Now, five to eight players are going to win that on the, on the court. But the guy who is in the back, who is taking care of the shoes and the jerseys and washing the jerseys and doing all of that, guess what? That dude is going to get a national championship ring along with the dudes who actually won it. Why? Because he gets what they got. Why? Because they're on the same team. And so what, what this, this, this whole idea of the Messiah, what the Messiah gets, we get. That what's happening here is that the Messiah is contending for sonship. There's going to be a battle for a sonship. There's going to be moments where the the son is going to pull away to protect the sonship that's been given to him by the father. Why? Because he wants to pass it off to you and I. 
Because the only fuel that will get you through is spirit-empowered sonship. It's the only thing. That's the only thing that will last. It's the only thing that will help you navigate the tensions of of the world that you live in. The only thing that truly matters is spirit-empowered sonship. And this is... This is, I mean, just imagine what the, what the father is saying and what the son is receiving. And I've, I've got a, a picture of my, of, of my kids. This is a picture of my family 10 years ago, February the 21st. And this is Jeremiah, my youngest, when he was first born. And I had, I've had this experience four times, and I never got, never got old. But if you're a father, you know what happens when that Baby is born and you're holding her. There is a rush of commitment, of sacrifice, of love, of belief, of like, oh, you're overwhelmed, yes, but at the same time, you feel not just an emotion, but a declaration of your commitment to that baby for the rest of his life. That you will sacrifice everything for their good. And when the father is saying, you are my son, multiply whatever I was feeling times a thousand. And that there, was, there was an overwhelming declaration of sonship from the father to the son that the father declared and the son received. And that now is what is awaiting you and I. I'm telling you, no matter, and I'm, I'm going to prove this, but no matter where you are in life, You have a prophetic declaration over you that says, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. That becomes the fuel that allows you to encounter the world around you through a brand new perspective. I I love how when it comes to Jesus, he receives this, but there's an instant like strategy from Satan. Now, so... Jesus, he, he receives, he gets baptized, he receives this declaration, you're my son, you're my boy, I'm pleased with you. And then the next thing is Luke has this parenthetical moment of now giving the genealogy. And he starts from Joseph, and he starts from Jesus, and he works down all the way to Adam, the last words, son of God. Luke is working really hard, he's trying to, he's trying to help us not miss that, that everything is revolving around the sonship of Jesus. But then what is tested by Satan? So this is in Luke chapter 4, verse 3. Then the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Guess what always happens when it comes to the sonship of Jesus? Is that the Satan was trying to exchange his affirmation for achievement. Do you realize that the same test that was upon the sun is upon you and I every day? That there is an attempt for you and I to take what we are given, namely affirmation, approval, that we do not deserve, that is given to us as a cherished gift by the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Spirit to you and I, and guess how we usually respond is that we think that we either don't deserve it or we have to earn it. I mean, even Naaman, if you look in 2 Kings chapter 5, you have, I mean, this is the perfect picture, this is the perfect example of this, of someone who's desperately sick. He goes to Elijah, and, and what, what does he say? He says, he says, I will do anything to earn you healing me. And he says, no, no, just go dip yourself in that nasty, 
hey, just go get there. And he's like, no, I can't do that. Well, why, what's he saying? I have to earn something. Is that this is from the very beginning that what we find in Jesus is that, that what Satan was doing was trying to get him to exchange affirmation for achievement. But then this is what I love. You can go to the, the, the next slide. Is that what Jesus does? Jesus realized that there's a constant tension. There's a constant attack. That what Jesus does is he, he actually pulls away to access the approval he's been given. As, as a father, I've noticed that my kids need two things. FaceTime and floor time. <laughs> FaceTime and floor time. That, that as, as a father, um, I, with all four of my kids, but especially my oldest, I mean forever, I would be doing something and he would want my attention. And he'd go, hey, dad. Yeah, buddy. No, hey, dad, dad. Yeah, buddy, what's up? And he'd go over and he'd grab my face. And he'd squeeze it. And he'd pull it. And he'd go, no, dad, I need you to look at me. That, and, not, and not just FaceTime, but there was something that FaceTime gave the, the acknowledgement of the fact that, that I am with you. I'm connecting with you. Floor time gave me, gave kids security. That, that my kids, they, they needed me to not just give them my face, but give them the security of me actually wrestling with them. And I really think that when it comes to these moments where we see, and all throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus is pulling away. He's pulling away. He's pulling away to disconnect. What's he doing? He's trying to reaccess and reconnect to the declaration that I am the, I'm the father's son. I am dearly loved, and he is well pleased with me. And that required both FaceTime, a connection with the father, as well as wrestling with, with these realities that he knew were true. But then what we find is that the conclusion, so you, so you have this, this beautiful, like, this, this declaration, this, this foundational moment of Jesus receiving sonship, spirit-empowered sonship. But the question is, what did it result in? Here's the, the, the next slide. Is that what, what, what I love is that as a result of how the father saw the son, the son receives the sight of the father. And now what do you see in, in Jesus? In Luke chapter 13, he sees a woman bent over with a disabling spirit, preaching. He sees her from a distance, stops, and calls her forward. So because the, the father was generous to the son, you see the son, now as he's going about, he is pursuing people like Zacchaeus, and he's generous with them because the father was generous to the son. I mean, even like the pursuit that Jesus has of two individuals, disciples, who are rowed to Emmaus, they're on this road after Jesus has been crucified. He's dead. And they're on their way to Emmaus to leave everything behind, to start over. What does the son do? The son pursues these two disciples because the father has been pursuing the son his entire life. That I, what, what I love about spirit-empowered fuel from the father is that the son received it from the father but lived to now give it away. And, and you see the entire ministry, and we're going to look at it in this devotional, day after day after day, of, of we see, we're, we're seeing Jesus doing amazing things. But that came out of this moment of the Father declaring to the Son, you are my Son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. So how does that apply to us? Now this is 
It's a watch. It's 110 years old. I talked about this a while back, but I didn't have the actual watch. This is it. This is given by my great uncle, Virgil. It's a great name. Uncle Virgil uh, received this and he protected it, took care of it. And my, my, great, my great uncle went through a, a whole lot. He's got a, a lot of stories to tell. At least he, he used to tell them way back, back in the day. But the goal of this watch, he, he bought it, he protected it so that he could give it to a male in the Bendix family that he hadn't met but that he loved. It was a gift he had protected and now he gave. And what we find in this, the journey that Jesus goes through what he navigates, what he faces, what he protects, even the fact that he goes to the cross and he dies, is to give you and I the gift. A gift that is sacred, a gift that should be treasured, a gift that matters, a gift that you and I need. A gift that is the fuel to our soul, to fuel in our relationships. It's fuel at our work. It is, it is that which defines and sets us apart. That, that what sets you apart is not your CV, it's not your resume, it's not your car, it's not where you live. What sets you apart, what matters most within the context of your life is the reception, is the you hearing, actually hearing, and actually believing, you are my son. With you I love, and with you I'm well, I'm well pleased. That spirit-empowered sonship is the only thing that we have to truly begin to express and exude the way that Jesus lived upon the earth. But the question is, I think for me is, man, if I'm truly honest, I exchange achievement for, or I'm sorry, affirmation for achievement. I, I think. As an achiever, and again, we live in a world where we are more isolated, we're more individualistic, and as a result, we live to achieve. And I think, I think one of the things I've found when I am actually exchanging, I think for some of us, we're, at, we're hearing this and we're going, what, what, what are the signs? Corey, like, unpack the signs of a person who's, who's exchanging this, who's taken affirmation and they, without even meaning to, they've slipped into this world of, of exchanging affirmation for achievement. And I think for, I think for me, it's been one of the signs of weariness. The Bible talks about, about like, don't, like, when, it, when it comes to what Jesus has done, don't grow weary in well-doing. I think when it comes to weariness, all that is is signs of sickness. Like, for example, you're appetite goes. For me, when I'm beginning to exchange acceptance for achievement, my spiritual appetite begins to go. Things that I once was hungry for, I'm no longer, I'm no, I'm no longer as hungry for them. I'm spiritually cranky, I'm tired, I'm isolated. I don't really want to be around people because people remind me of the things that I'm not doing. And people remind me of what of the fact that I'm not hitting the mark. 
that, to be honest with you, one of the signs for me is comparison. Have you ever been on, on, on a treadmill where you're on a treadmill and you, like, you're on it because you want to beat the person next to you? Except they don't even know that you're trying to beat them? And so everything about the treadmill is that you're exuding a lot of energy, you're sweating, and you're going nowhere. Except for the fact that you beat the person who didn't even know that they were racing. One of the signs that I'm trading, I'm exchanging affirmation for achievement is the fact that I'm comparing myself to people. And all it does is it takes energy from me, causes me to be bent over, exhausted, and I haven't gone anywhere. Have you exchanged achievement for affirmation? Or you might be here and you might be asking the, the question, Corey, how in the world do I, how, how do I begin to get FaceTime and floor time with the Father? What does that look like? How can I do that? Let, let me bring you into what I do every, every single day. Um, if I'm honest with you, the majority of my life has been spent exchanging affirmation for achievement. And it's left me frustrated, overwhelmed. About a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, I spent the better part of 30 hours over three days with a therapist who helped me unpack this reality of Mark chapter 1, verse 11, or Luke chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. And what she did is she helped me begin to take this truth that I am dearly loved, that I don't have to exchange affirmation for achievement anymore. And so every day I've got two mirrors I look into. I look into a mirror because I've got 10 pounds of gel i got to put on my hair. And then I look into this. And what this does, this is a mirror that reminds me of who I am. See, I've got a story that, um, that has a lot of bumps in the road. And the lies I listened to is that I was unclean. And because of that uncleanness, I had to achieve to prove that I had a brand that could be followed. That the majority of my life, I felt like I was not secure. I was isolated. I was alone. I was forgotten. I was dismissed. Again, these were lies that I would overcompensate with. And it was just recently, over the last year and a half to two years, that I've come to the realization that, that this is who I am. I, I, I am clean. I am an overcomer. I'm secure. And it's not because of anything I feel. It has nothing to do with what I've done. It's because of this is spirit-empowered sonship that I have chosen to not live by but live in. That this is what you have to do to begin to wrestle with, to, to, to begin to get face time and floor time with the Father where you pause enough to actually look into the law of love and stare at it. And even when you feel ashamed, you stare at it again. And even when you feel like you don't count, you stare at it again because it's about who has done this for you. It's not about what you've done. This is, this is my mirror. This is who I am. And, and the more I, I begin to acknowledge and realize how far the sun has gone to declare this over me, what it does is it, it makes me now 
be okay with my own weaknesses. But then along, because you know what weaknesses are? Weaknesses are windows that other people can see the Father through. That your weaknesses are windows that other people can see the God of all creation through them. And then, you know, you know what, what else I've, I've found as I begin to, to get FaceTime and floor time with the Father? Is that he loves my weaknesses and he wants me to love the weaknesses in other people. Like that's where this gets fun. Is that now you can begin to take this, this you're stirring your affections for Christ. This helps stir my affections for Jesus. This, this causes me to love him more, be, be overwhelmed with how much he loves me, be overwhelmed with the fact that he has given me security, that he has given me a new passion in himself, that I am secured not because of what I do, but because of who he is. And as a result of that, now it begins to allow me to look at the world around me and go, God, let's play. Let's Let's, let's, let's get involved here. Let's get engaged. When it comes to the weaknesses of others, you know what? Because I have a God who, who's gotten on the inside of my weaknesses, I have now strength and courage and confidence to begin to step into the weaknesses of other people. This is what this lo- looks like from a practical sense. So I, I've shared a bit of my story over the course of the last few, few times I've preached. But I, again, at nine years old, I was introduced to this world of Images and chaos that brought uncleanness. Images that defined me, it followed me, left me trapped. And for years and years and years and years, it was, uh, I, this all happened at a Boy Scout camp in a tent. And I, I, I got to admit, like I felt trapped in that tent for the better part of 30 years. Just trapped. How, how do you get out of this? And it was in this moment of realizing who I am. Who set me free? He's the one that unzipped my tent. Got in, grabbed me, pulled me out, gave me a new set of clothes. This is, this is the one. And so now as a result of what Christ has done, not just to me, but in me, I, do you, you know what the... The place that I love more than being up on the stage is being at a Conquer series where I'm helping 16-year-old young men navigate a world of images. I love that. I love it because it, God uses my story of chaos and weakness to actually bring hope, health, and healing to those around me. Like my story and my pain actually has a purpose. And see, for many of us, when we think about like what, what is going to begin to enable me to be missional. Pastor Corey, I don't even know where to begin. How does this start? I'm telling you, it starts when you, with you beginning to realize you have spirit-empowered sonship that has been bought and paid to help you begin to discover it by staring at it and now getting people around you to tell you who you are, remind you of who you are, and then push you to places where you are forced to communicate your story. Not forced. That's a, it's too rough of a word encouraged, supported in the process of taking your pain and allowing God to have a purpose through it. I'll tell the story and then I'll, I'll be done. I, um, a, as one of the things that I was amazed by the last tri- triathlon that I did years ago was I was about to hit the running course for 
it was a 13-mile run. The last part was about, it was 13.1. And I saw a blind triathlete who was tethered to a guide. And this, this man, this courageous man, had, I'm sure he had done this multiple times, but in my eyes, this, he, was, he was doing the impossible. He had swam 1.2 miles, biked 56 miles, and then was about to hit a 13-mile run, but he was tethered to a guide who, was ref- who refused to disconnect himself from him, but, re- but at the same time, the, this blind man trusted the pace of the guide. And I'm telling you by the Spirit of God that Jesus wants you to be tethered to who he says that you are in a fresh way. And that he wants to begin to take you places you have never even imagined. That he wants to take your story, he wants to take your weaknesses, he wants to take your pain that has caused you to sideline yourself. And he wants to begin to commission you to new places, to new locations with new authority because of the fact that you have spirit-empowered sonship. I dare you, don't dismiss this message. Don't just quickly run out. Don't think to yourself, oh, uh, he's not talking about me. No, no, no. This is, I really believe that that the Spirit of God wants to do some surgery on the inside of every heart here. Because at the end of the day, every one of us have been hypnotized by this reality that you are what you do. In an achievement world, we have become Christian achievers. And, and what I, I love about what Jesus, the way that he lived, is that he was tethered to the power and the words of the Father, and it made him the most productive achiever that the world has ever known. That we can be amazing achievers with the right fuel. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for, for who you are, for what you are doing in our hearts in this church, even the way that you're using this neighboring journey to give us an opportunity to freshly commit ourselves to the one who gives us spirit-empowered sonship. Lord, I thank you that you don't love us because of what we do or what we don't do. Lord, I thank you that you are not looking for us to do one more thing. This is not about doing. This is about being. Lord, I'm asking that every heart would have a moment of of silence where they peer into these words. I am dearly loved. The Father is pleased with you. And I feel like I need to prophetically declare that to you. You are dearly loved. The Father is well pleased with you. You are dearly loved. The Father is pleased with you. Lord, allow this week to be a week where we have FaceTime, floor time with you. Where where you lovingly help us navigate and even wrestle with the fact that for many of us, we don't really believe this. But we desperately want to. Lord, thank you that you say it, that your answer to us is you say yes to that declaration. Help us to now echo your your yes with a yes. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
Amen.